0: I wanna to talk to you for just a few minutes about when your heart gets stuck. You know, uh, a lot of us, we, we say like, man, I wish I just wasn't so stressed and so anxious. I wish I wasn't so worried about the future. And we have all of these dire predictions coming on, you know, some of the foremost economists and stuff are saying we're going into a huge downturn and uh, all these kind of things. And, and a lot of us can get really tense and uptight. Well, God has given us a tool that he wants us to use, that helps with that. In fact, it actually moves your heart. And it's probably not what you think it is. Um, It's a tool that intensifies our faith. I want to illustrate it by this. Look up on the screen. You know, remember the 1990s and they had the magic eye? Put that up there. That's the back of my head. That's not a magic eye maybe we're not going to be able to get it up there i don't know so anyway it's it's the it's the idea of ah there it is okay so if you look at that really closely do you see the deer in there it's like a 3d deer are you seeing that remember do you remember when you used to look at those you kind of have to look at it in an interesting way and all of a sudden it just appears to you you know how many of you see that like for. And that's what I thought. That's me too. So when you used to see it, people would go, you're crazy. There's nothing in there. I don't see that. But you kind of have to focus. I was going to leave it up there until you saw it. You couldn't leave today until you saw it, but I went not to do that. Um, you have to kind of focus a little beyond the page to be able to see that. And what this does, it enables us to see a little bit beyond this reality right here. Because this reality right here is... Uh, just part of what's going on. Heaven and earth. Heaven's not way up somewhere and earth down here. We always think way up there and down here. But heaven is all around us right now. In fact, there are angels around us. right? It's just another dimension. And it, and it's right here. But you have to be able to focus a little bit differently. In fact, the Bible calls it the eyes of your heart that, that are going to see it. So Jesus shares with us some a way that we can do that. So let me just read it to you. Matthew six nineteen through thirty four. He starts out. He says, "Don't hoard treasure down here, where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust, or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven, where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars." It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place where your heart will be also. So our heart is a movable object. We can move our heart wherever we want it to be. A lot of us have thought that our our money follows our heart, but what Jesus says is that our heart follows our money. And I can tell you that's true because I had three kids that went to the University of Oklahoma and I hated the Sooners and now I love them. You know, So obviously I put a lot of money over there. Um, but it's just a, it's just a tool. And since your heart always follows your money, it only makes sense to put your money where you want your heart to be. What Jesus talks about, like there's so many times in scripture, talks about the eyes of our heart being able to see beyond what's right here and right now. A lot of us never grasp that point And we spend Everything we have and all the time we have and all the money we have and we invest right here in the things of earth and our hearts and even the very eyes of our heart are lashed to earth, this existence, with really cords of silver and gold in a sense. So we have a lot of trouble concentrating on the things of God. Um... Jesus knew that he made us in such a way that we love to stockpile. I mean, we're stockpile. And that's exactly what the word is in the Greek there, stockpile. But he says it's not really whether you're going to stockpile or not. I know you are, but where are you going to do it? I mean, where are you going to do your banking? So two treasuries, you have an option. Listen to what G. Campbell Morgan said 100 years ago. You are to remember with the passion burning within you that you are not the child of today. You are not of the earth. You are more than dust. You are the child of tomorrow. You are the, of the eternities. You are the offspring of deity. The measurement of your life cannot be circumscribed by the point where blue sky touches green earth. All the fact of your life cannot be compressed in the one small sphere upon which you live. You belong to the infinite. If you make and keep your fortune on the earth, poor, sorry, silly soul, you have made a fortune and stored it in a place where you cannot hold it. Make your fortune, but store it where it will greet you in the dawning of the new morning. Back during the early days of Christianity, not long after Jesus had uh, been on earth and gone back into the heavenly realm, uh, the, the Romans were persecuting the Christians terribly. And a Roman centurion broke into one of the Christian churches and he grabbed the pastor, whose name was Laurentius, grabbed him uh, by the collar and, and he said, show us where your treasure is. And Laurentius pointed over to a, a, a table where some widows and some orphans were eating some, a, a good meal. And he said, this is our treasure. We've invested everything that we have in them. And I think that's a lot of what Jesus is talking about, the kingdom of heaven. What does it look like? What does it feel like? That's treasure in heaven. He goes on in verses 22 and 23. He says, your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a musty cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. I think he's really trying to help us think about how we see the world. Do you see it as a world of scarcity? There's just really not enough to go around. I mean, if I get my piece of the pie, then you can't get yours. And so it's kind of like dog eat dog. And, or do you see that you have a heavenly father that's generous and giving and never runs out of resources and is always looking for conduits to into his kingdom to make a difference in the lives of the least of these all around the world? And I think Jesus also seems to be warning us here about coming to think that God and his power exist to make us rich in this life. You know, that, that being a Christian, you're, you, 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 you're a Christian so that you can win the election or you're, uh, a salesman and you, and you join a church so that you can, you know, make some deals and do some things and get to know people. And there's a lot of people in church like that, but that's not what Jesus said that it's about, uh, if we've aligned our, our spiritual eyes with those kind of things, then it's going to be really dark. It's going to be a really dark existence because um, we think that every reference to the Bible, to God, to prayer, it becomes no more than a way of just reinforcing our own self-centeredness, our own selfishness, our own stuff, narcissism. And it's rampant in America today. But in the church, God says, I want to show the world something totally different. I think the health and wealth gospel is really one of the most damnable lies abroad in the world today. God wants nothing more than to make me more beautiful, more wealthy, uh, more successful. It's a a completely self-centered thing. There is such a thing as God saying, I found someone who's a conduit into my kingdom and it's open and I'm going to bless that and bless that and bless that. But that's not about us. See, once you believe that it's all about us, then God just becomes a reinforcer again of our selfishness, our narcissism. We're already prone to that as human beings. And it just says, what a a dark life that's gonna be. Jesus goes on and he gets real adamant. He says, you can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. He's saying here, you're going to have to pick something to worship. In fact, the word worship there is literally the word serve. And it comes from the idea of doulos, which was a bond slave. Back in this day, people would, when they were just had no resources, they didn't uh, know what to do or they got way in debt, they would sell themselves for a period of time as a complete slave. They would sell their own self to someone in the Roman Empire. And um, they would serve them, body and soul, really, for that amount of time, however long it was. Sometimes it was even for a a lifetime. And slavery, by its very definition, is is full-time service to one master because everything belongs to that master. And Jesus is saying that there are two gods, and you're going to have to pick one. And one of them's going to be like material stuff, and the other one is me. And they don't go together. You can't worship both of them at the same time. I, I can hear you almost asking, well, Mark, does that mean I just ditch my ambition? No, Jesus goes on. He says in verse 25, if you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free, unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God. And you count far more to him than birds. It makes me think of the barn swallows that uh, they come back to our area every year. You know, they migrate, I don't know where they go to. I haven't figured that out, but I know they come back to my house and the stucco on my house, they love to put those little dirt uh, nests up on the stucco in my house, at my house, not inside my house. But, um, you know, the, the barn swallows are the same ones you see sometimes out on the interstate, you know, and you see all of those things and they're flying around like crazy. Well, all, most of my neighborhood, they knock those down right away because it's a mess, you know? But I read one day that barn swallows eat their weight in mosquitoes every day. And so I decided, well, let's see if it's worth the mess, you know? And when people come, because it's so crazy how God has given instinct to these birds, even the little babies when they're born, they know to, you know, get over the side and drop their droppings down, you know, they don't do it in the nest. And so there gets to be this pile of stuff and people will come over and go, what is that? And I go, it's a big pile of dead mosquitoes. Um, what's interesting is like around my house in the summer in Houston, I don't have mosquitoes. I I can tell they're eating the mosquitoes because I attract mosquitoes. Like Laura, mosquitoes don't like Laura. I don't know if it's like bitter blood or what it is, but it's with me, it's just like, so, you know, they love, they love me. We could all be out somewhere and the mosquitoes would come to me. Y'all would be fine, you know? But I see these barn swallows when I'm out in the pool or something in the backyard, they'll be diving right over my head. And it's amazing as they're eating the mosquitoes right out of the air, you know? Well, you've never seen a barn swallow standing on the side of its nest with its mouth open going, okay, God, mosquitoes, waiting for it. No, God gave them instinct. They work really, really hard. But when you watch them flying around, it's amazing how free and how carefree they are as they do it. And when they train their little ones, those little ones never even hit the ground. It's amazing. They start flying straight out of the nest. Which is good because my cat's always just sitting there staring at the nest, you know, the whole time they're there. But he never gets any of them because, and even those little ones, they learn how to do it. And you can see the mom and dad training them. And and it's just this cool, cool picture to me of how God wants us to be carefree like that. Because I've never seen the barn swallows, you know, looking at each other and going, honey, why don't, I mean, we're doing really good, lots of mosquitoes. Why don't we build a bigger nest? Why don't we get even, why don't we build three nests? Why don't we get a vacation nest next door? You know, why don't we? And, and they just don't do that. You know, they, they have this abundance, but they don't, they don't hoard it. They don't try to get more. You never seen a fat bird except in a cage because unless we cage them up, that's the only reason they get fat. But a lot of us, because of trying to hoard here, we've kind of lost our childlike carefree heart. I mean, are you watching the stock market every day? You know, watching it, you, some of you, you invested in crypto and it's like, brrr, you know, and it's like you're, you're watching and you just, you, you see all that stuff and, and it, it just begins to, to wear you out. Verse 27, Jesus goes on. Has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? I remember when I was a kid, I was always trying to get taller, you know? It didn't work. All this time and money wasted on fashion. Do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never prim or shop, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? really came to me when we were in Colorado because we had been out hiking. We we're on some private property and we'd hiked all through these woods and it was kind of difficult. And then also we came out on this field and it was the most beautiful wildflowers. And I thought to myself, has anyone else ever even seen this field? It's amazing what God does in all these hidden places. And that's what Jesus is saying. If, if he does that and he loves that and he cares for that, Isn't he going to care for you? Jesus says, what I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. People all the time tell me, you know, I have one little tiny sin. That's a real kind of besetting sin, worry, worry. I hate to break this to you, but worry is a huge sin. It might be almost the worst sin of any because worry is pointed at the character of God. I don't trust you. I don't trust you, God. It's pointed at God's promises. It's pointed at God's scriptures. And it's pointed at his very character. I don't don't trust you. It's a monumental sin. And a lot of us, we've had trauma early in life. And some of you have gone through some, I've heard your stories, difficult, difficult times. And we learn not to trust. Most of us learn not to trust pretty quickly in this old world, you know, but some of us even more. And and so, you know, we've learned we can only trust one person. Who's that? Me. And I'm going to take care of me. And I'm going to stockpile for me. And I'm going to make sure it's all safe for me. And I don't, you know, whatever else anybody else does, I'm gathering for me. Jesus is saying, you know, that we don't have to live that way anymore. I would say congratulations to you. You're a survivor. A lot of people would have just curled up in a ball and died if they had your upbringing or or, or those terrible things that happened to you in childhood. But you don't have to do that now because you have a father that, that loves you. In World War II, I think there was more loss of life in World War II than, than any other war ever, and most of the wars combined, an estimated total of 70 to 85 million people perished in World War II. Did you know that? 2.3 billion people on earth, 3% of them died in that war in 1940s. And the death directly caused by the war, including the military and civilian fatalities, are estimated between 50 and 56 million, and then those that died. From famine and disease, 19 to 28 million more. So there was a lot of death. And it caused there to be a lot of orphans. There were literally millions of little orphans running around on the streets. And the allied forces wanted to do something about that after the war. So they they began to make these centers for the orphans. And they would gather them all up in the major cities. And they would begin to feed them, and they'd take care of them, and all their, their needs were met. But they were, there was a weird thing that was happening. They The, the little orphans couldn't sleep. They, they just couldn't, they could hardly sleep at night. And so they brought in all these psychologists, and they were trying to figure out what was going on. And nobody could figure out. Finally, one bright psychologist thought he knew what it was. And so they started this program where every night, They would tuck the kids in bed and they would say a prayer over everybody and then they would go one by one and hand each of those little orphans a piece of bread and they would grab it and clutch it or hide it under their pillow. And within a couple of days, they were sleeping soundly because see, their experience had been, yeah, today might've been okay, but tomorrow we could lose everything and it might be a disaster. That was their experience. And so they would hold on to that. In fact, in the morning, It would be almost like some of them had it so tight. It was like, you know, little Play-Doh fists, you know, like when you when you pull it so tight like that and they, they would have that there with them. Well, I think God is trying to tell us, I've given you a piece of bread. I've given you some bread to hold on to. It's Jesus himself. Remember, he said, I'm the bread of life. Why did he call himself the bread of life? I think some for this very reason. I'm here for you. You've, I, I will never let you go. I've got you. In fact, it was so interesting because, in the chapter in John where he's telling about, he tells the people he had like ten thousand followers, and then by the time he's done giving this message, he has back to the original twelve, and one of them wasn't really following him, you know. And he said, "I'm the bread of life. Unless you eat me, you you can't experience the kingdom of God." And everybody's gone like. What, you know, this is weird and hard, but he was talking spiritually, but they didn't get that. And so a lot of people left and said, that's too, uh, it's too weird, I don't, I don't understand it. What was he saying? He's saying, unless you really just receive me, hold on to me, let me in, and let me hold on to you. You can't really know God's kingdom. And I think that's exactly what the, this uh, next, these next verses are about that he talks about. He says this. He says, steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. And that word steep yourself in God initiative, God reality, steep yourself in me. That word steep is, we use that for tea, right? You, you remember back, A few years ago, there was a place called Tivana. It was usually in the malls. You know, I think Starbucks owned it or something. And it's kind of, I think they've just combined with Starbucks now. You don't even ever see those anymore because I think it was because it was so expensive. I mean, the tea was so expensive. You'd go in there and it was, you say, oh, how much is that? And it was like just a little bit more than like street drugs, you know? And, and, And so you'd go in and you'd find, oh, I want some. Can you give me a dime bag of oolong? You know, I just... Because that's all you could afford, right? You know, and, and, but you would take that and you would, you would like steep it in the hot water. And it just, I mean, the aroma and, and it just covered that whole, everything changed inside that water. That's what he's talking about. When you really begin to steep yourself in God reality. And part of that's going to be not only spending time with him, but it's our money and where it goes. he knows that. It just begins to flavor everything about you. It changes everything about you. And and that's what what Jesus is saying. He said, you have an all-powerful, all-caring father. What do you have to worry about? I think the reason those little orphans were so worried, they didn't have a father. They didn't have a father, but we do. Maybe you grew up with out of father maybe you grew up with a not a very good father or an emotionally distant father and sometimes you see God that way he says i'm not that way i'm not that way i'm right here and i love you and i see you and i'll watch over you in fact jesus in john chapter 14 says i will never abandon you like orphans i will return to be with you anyone who loves me will listen to my voice and obey the father will love him and we will draw close to them and make a dwelling place with them it's kind of the key to the to the whole passage you know four times in this passage there's there's a little word in greek marimna marimna it means worry but there's always something in front of it in this passage which tells you something about it like first it says don't worry and in verse 25, the Greek tense, it's unique. It means stop worrying. Stop worrying. Don't do that anymore. Don't do it. You've been doing it. Don't do it. If you're already doing it, quit. In verse 31, it's a different tense. And it, it, it's saying, don't start worrying. Don't, don't start it. You don't need to. Either way, it's like if, you, if you're worrying, quit. If you haven't started, don't start. I know when my children were preschoolers, one of the things that I never really thought much about it, but you know, they never worried about where their next meal was coming from because they knew they had a father that was going to take care of that. Now they might've had to eat a bologna sandwich because, you know, in some of the little churches that I was in as a student pastor or something, I mean, they didn't pay very good, but there was always something and we would always make it a treat, you know, like, hey, it's bologna sandwiches tonight, kids. And they're, yay, yay. Nobody else does that. You know, you know, some of you just feel that way about spam. Spam, yeah, you know, and it's like, I I, I don't know. It, it's like, but it's because of the way you grew up, right? It never entered their mind. No anxiety. No anxiety. A Greek manuscript found in the first century had a list of names of some of the early Christians. And there's some great names on there. If you're pregnant, you might want to name your kid one of these, you know. One of them was Titadeus Amarimnos. Wouldn't that be a cool name for a kid? Hey, Titadeus Amarimnos? Uh, no. <laughs> it's interesting because Marimna, remember, worry, ah in front of it, no. So Titadeus, the man who never worries. Maybe that would be kind of a cool thing if God called us that. Mark Amarimnos. You can't do that right now because I'm not there yet. Wouldn't it be cool to call your name? Amarimnos at the end. And and the one who never worries. What do you think the world would think about that? You know, there's something about you. You never worry. Verse 34. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes economic downturn. I know in the last one, 2007 and eight, I lost half of all my investments. And you know, the thing I kept thinking the whole time after that, I wish I had given a lot more of that to God, (laughs) you know, because when you stockpile in heaven, there's not an economic downturn in heaven ever. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you back a hundred times as much. That's 10,000% interest. And you multiply that over, you know, how many billions and billions and billions of years, pretty good stuff, you know, and that's one of the things I, I'd gotten worried about some, some of the things that I had invested in. And God just basically said to me, pull that stuff out and give it this time at best gift. And I was going like, all of it? Yeah. And so Laura and I are going to do that. And it's going to be far more than we've ever given. But I started getting really excited about it. And I stopped worrying. When I pulled all that out and put it in, in, into cash, getting ready to do that, it was like, I don't, I'm not following everything. You know, I'm not following the crypto. I'm not following the stock market. I'm not follow, all the time, you know, and yes, God wants us to save and, and, and be smart about that. And he wants us not to be in debt, but he's saying, some of us were just so tied up and that He's saying I want to free you up. Will you just obey me and trust me? I'm your father. I see tomorrow. I know what it's gonna be, I'm already there. I'll welcome you into it, we'll walk in it together. A little over 20 years ago, our family came back from Mexico City and the Yucatan Peninsula where we'd been missionaries for about a decade. And I had a dream, I wanted to start this little boutique mission agency that worked with large churches because they had a lot of resources. And, and, And I thought they could do so much for the kingdom of God. I saw it while I was in Mexico City, and I remember going around to a lot of the large churches in the United States. And, and I had found a place in Costa Rica that desperately needed uh, an orphanage. And I thought Costa Rica is a good first place to start for a church you know, that hasn't maybe done a lot because it, it's more safe than some of the other places. And it was about $200,000 to build this orphanage. But it was so weird because every pastor that I talked to, and I know a lot of large church pastors, it was like, well, we already have an orphanage in Costa Rica, I said, really? He goes, yeah, we send them $3,000 a year. I said, oh no, you support an orphanage in Costa Rica. And then they would say something like, well, but our people don't know the difference. I was like, what? And all of a sudden it hit me. It was like window dressing, you know? We're gonna say we're working all over the globe and we'll give a little pittance all around and then we can build the buildings we want and do the things we want. And I was like, no, but for $200,000, you would put an orphanage there that wouldn't be there otherwise. it, it's yours, and, and you, nobody, I got zero, zero, I mean, Laura and I got so discouraged, we'd been back about six or eight months, and we we're just like, I don't know what we're supposed to do, God, you know, I don't know, I mean, maybe I can get a job at Walmart or something, I don't know what's going on, but um, God just said real clearly to us, I have a dream, I have a dream of a church that's founded like that, I have a dream of a church that gets that. And that's you. You know, it's been so interesting because over the last 20 years, we've baptized about 10,000 people. And that's amazing. They're in churches all over this area. We're the best giver to churches all over this area of people, you know. But I love that because they came to faith here. 20,000, I think, have marked that they received Christ here. And, And that's a huge deal. I know way back in like 2005, 800 of us, we, we gave $6 million to build that first building over there. And it was just a metal building. I just facaded it so you think it looks really cool, you know. And then 2015, a few thousand of us gave $12 million to build this where you're seated, where you are right now. So you could enjoy today or you could have your kids over learning about God those things are going to last. But the biggest thing that I'm most excited about before we ever built that very first building, I just remember the first day of community of faith because um, it started with five of us, me and Laura and our three kids. And I was like, hey, community of faith, you know, and this is in 2003. And then, (laughs) then about 25 of us met at Terry Leatherman's house for a while and not really a core. We just started kind of meeting together. And then uh, on Easter, we started community faith, and, and I'd sent out a big brochure about, I was gonna preach about marriage, and, and 180 people came. And almost all of them were not churched at all, which is what I was shooting for, because I wanted to like say, we can train up a whole different way. We can learn what church really is. And um, you know, it was funny, because I used to be so scared to talk about giving. I mean, I was it, it just bothered me, because televangelist and all that, you know. I mean, it was just like weird. I don't wanna be categorized with them. And I remember that very first Sunday, it was 180 people, never been there before. And, and, and at the offering time, I said, well, we're going to take an offering now. If you're not a regular uh, member or attender of community faith, don't feel obligated to give. And there, none of them were, you know, and they didn't feel obligated to give either, you know. So but it was, it was, I mean, I would always do that. And I did that for years and years until one day God got hold of me and said, you know, these people are going to be mad at you for like a couple of billion years, (laughs) you know? I I would rather you bow up a little now when I talk about money and you store it up there. And when you get up there, you're going like, you're my best friend, Mark. You're better than E.F. Hutton, you know? It's like you got me all this stuff up in heaven and that's where it needs, because that's where it's going to last. But I think I, I did some research and prouder than I am of even all of that, I'm proud that, as far as I can tell, in these 20 years coming up, Easter will be 20. We've given more percentage wise to God's global kingdom outside of us than any other church our size in the history of America. And I think that's pretty amazing. And you feel it. I mean, we do things super simple. We have a tiny, small staff and but that's because we are doing those things. And we know where every dollar's going to. Most of the people are on our staff or working with really trustworthy people that we've come to know over the years, like Mark Tennant. I want you on December 11th to be able to see beyond right here. And I think God's going to challenge you. Remember, I said, don't give, because Paul said, don't give if someone's put you under compulsion. Don't give because you feel guilty. I want you just to get alone with God and say, God, what do you want me to do? And you won't believe it's going to challenge you. God's not going to go, well, you could probably give, you know, two dollars if, you know, and you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year or something. He's probably not going to do that. He's probably going to challenge you, and it's going to be different gifts. He doesn't look at it and say, oh, they gave a whole lot. Maybe they have a whole lot, and that wasn't much for them. Maybe. You didn't give a whole lot, but out of what you have, that's a huge thing. Remember when Jesus saw the widow and she gave a mite, a mite was like a piece of a penny. And he said, she gave more than everybody else because she gave her last mite. He knows those things. So it's not equal gifts, but it's equal sacrifice and it will move your heart to a whole new place and it'll start your anxiety will begin to go down we got a great counseling center if you've had a lot of trauma man don't i mean you got to take advantage of that we got one of the best trauma counselors in all of the united states in our counseling center you got to take advantage of that but uh, let me just tell you the way to get started is to move your heart and you do that with our resources would you pray with me God, I know you're going to challenge us, and I am excited about that. I'm more excited about this offering than any of them that I, in a long time, and it's probably because I'm giving more than I've ever given. And I, even, it's kind of crazy, but I haven't even equated that before with my excitement. But you move my heart. And I just ask that you would take each and every one of us right where we are, pray for those that you know feel kind of bowed up and oh, I came to church for the first time here and he's talking about money. Just remind them that they're gonna love me one day in heaven. I pray for those that you know are struggling right now and deep in debt, that you would help them begin to turn that around. I pray for all of us that we would get started with this in some way or another, that we would begin to start moving our hearts and you show us how to do it. And I know it's gonna be a challenge and I know it's gonna be, faith. And I know it's going to be a sacrifice for each and every one of us. And we just leave that between you and us. Thank you, God, that you love us that much. Thank you for the tool that you've put here, money, so that we can move our hearts. Come kingdom of God upon us, be done will of God over us and let nothing stop what you want to do in our lives. In Jesus name. Amen.